Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest is a dynamic leader and proud native of Los Angeles. His entrepreneurial spirit led him into the music industry where he helped build an indie record label, now recognized worldwide as the acclaimed funk folly. Collaborating with industry label mates like Hobson, Dizzy Wright, and more, leaving an unforgettable mark on independent hip hop. Driven by a passion for his hometown, he assisted in jumpstarting a creative agency in Los Angeles, serving clients like Rolling Loud, EDC, Insomniac, and revitalizing the historic district of downtown LA along the way. Embracing the burgeoning cannabis industry, he assumed diverse roles, reshaping legacy brands, and launching new ones, including Lime, Olala, THC Craft Soda, Interptonic collaboration with Mavin Genetics, and the launch of URSA Live Rosin and Wax Extracts. His extensive industry network is a testament to his dedication to the plant, and today he serves as CMO of the Humble Family Farms. So without further ado, D. Sidhu, welcome to the show. Mike, what's up, bro? Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, man. You're a busy guy, so I appreciate you carving out the time this morning to uh, <laughs> to jump on and chop up some game with us. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Appreciate that, man. So, D, let's, let's kind of take it back to the beginning. Where, you know... Where would you say the whole cannabis story and journey started for you? And what what kind of attracted you to to jump into the industry from the from the jump? Man, that's like a loaded, that's like a loaded question. We could we could peel that back and spend like <laughs> a couple of days on it. Um I'm an Angelino, bro. I'm from I'm born and bred in LA. I think Angelino's like the last of a dying breed. Um incredibly proud to be from my city. And, um, you know, being from L.A., I think, you know, cannabis is a big part of your life, whether you you indulge or you didn't. Um, so cannabis was always around me. You know, I didn't really sm start smoking and indulging in weed till like later in my adult life. But it's just because it was around me so much. It was like, no, nah, I'm cool, bro. I don't really want to smoke. But it was around. I didn't mind it. I loved it. All my friends smoked. So it was a part of my upbringing, you know, and um, my parents are big on music, um, specifically my dad. You know, he, he my dad's from India, so. You know, he he loved he loved like different genres of non-Indian music. You know what I mean? So like when I was out here, a lot of the stuff that he was listening to, um, that audience, you know what I mean? Like the like from the disco side, from rhythm and blues and jazz and stuff, you know, there was there was an audience a bit of that where folks were participating. So I was kind of around it. Um, I just didn't have like a very uh close curiosity to like you know, wanting to engage or just to smoke weed, you know, like I was mm -hmm. I was cool. Um you may hang out a lesson. I think we're more concerned about things that we can't really touch. So, you know, I think um, anything that got me into trouble was more exciting at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I found cannabis uh, while I was on my, well, I was trying to find myself, you know. Um, uh, I don't really have a traditional background as far as education goes. I've always been scrappy and, you know, self teaching myself whatever it is that I need to know to kind of uh, to get to the next stage of my life. And mm -hmm. Around 2008, when I think everything as far as like the market got shook up, I was I was working on something that I thought was going to be my for sure, for surefire bet, you know, and that went away. And I had to quickly look at life and be like, you know, I was young. And I was like, what am I going to do? And so yeah. it was on the one hand, I think that's that's kind of where you asked me something interesting before we jumped on. You know, it's like you know, the, we're talking about the journey and it's. I've always operated not being able to see what's on the other side of the fence for me, but just knowing in my gut that it feels right. And so while like my world was kind of on fire with 2008, I didn't really know where to go. I found I found what was going on with social media super interesting. You know, I thought I thought it was incredibly cool 
that you could you could build certain audiences on Facebook before pages and stuff really turned into like what they were. I thought it was so interesting that Mike could have five thousand fans and I could have two thousand if we came together. Oh man, like you know we could do something really cool before we called it cross pollinating and stuff, right? Um, I saw something there and I created a. I created a, uh, like all things in, you know, um, cannabis and everything else. I created a brand in my garage, a street brand. And um, I started to work with folks around the world. You know, if you had a page, I was working with you. Um, fast forward, I started to really build some clout online and I started moving some shirts. And those shirts really turned into something where I had some sort of a uh, personal brand now in LA. And um, fast forward, I started throwing my own small little events and I met these gentlemen that wanted to build this record label. And uh, Hobson at the time, I think, was working with Tamika Wright. So that's Easy's um, partner. And so they were over at Ruthless and he was signed a unique deal. We helped get him out of that deal. And so I'm, I'm seeing my world kind of change where I'm working with these guys and I was supposed to just do T-shirts for them. And they're taking me along and we're going to these different meetings. And my calling from there kind of I think that's where my fir the first switch went off for me as far as cannabis is because walking into the music industry, helping these guys build this label. I was, I was back into touring. I was into touring. I was hitting different venues, different markets. And the artists that we originally were working with at the time option was not into promoting cannabis and into a cannabis, but we were looking to sign another artist to the label and there's Dizzy Wright and Dizzy Wright signing to the label really kind of changed the game for me in the sense that like, um, I think it's always interesting to learn from folks that I'm working for, whether you're younger than me, older than me. I think there's always some interesting game to learn from others, especially when they're on an accelerated path to try to reach their goal. Right. Um, I learned a lot from Diz and Diz was a heavy smoker. You know, so we started mm -hmm. smoking together. We took a, we took a liking to each other. I instantly became his tour manager. You know, we we did we did his first major tour together. I did, I did one of the biggest tours of my life, 48 states in three months. It was insanity. And, you know, every tour we're smoking. Every tour, we're learning, we're learning, we're learning guidelines. Like, you know, what city is, what city is cool? What state is relaxed? You know, rolling into Texas, throw it out, right? Like, get rid of all, you know, no crumbs, nothing, you know, don't leave nothing anywhere. Um, and it was at that, at that time, we really started to think about how we separate ourselves. And I know I'm going down a barrel, but it's kind of important because when you mm -hmm. look at indie music and you go back to some of the key indie players at that time that really wanted to make a name for themselves because everybody was going digital, right? It was like the cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. We had to stand out. So we had the merch, we had direct to consumer, right? We had built the audience. There was a missing component to it, right? And we decided to go deep into Disney's cannabis side. And so they're like, if you go back into Dizzy Wright, there, I mean, you're talking early brand partnerships back then, and and the, and that was kind of unreal, right? And we had we had a deal where we had Dizzy Wright OG, and right. So I think that was, if I remember correctly, that was Crown Genetics, right? So mm -hmm. they helped assist with that, and you know that went from California, I think it's like Nevada, and so at that time I was like, there's something here, right? We were doing album album mixtapes around it, merchandise capsules around it, right? There were mm -hmm. other artists that were in this similar circle right here from the Valley and stuff like that that were working into it. Like we were creating literal line extensions as far as like merchandise and other things go from the cannabis uh, collab, which I thought was insane. You know, there's there's something here that's not being tapped into. And you could see others that were walking into it. The Wiz Khalifa's with KK and others. Mm -hmm. Burner was coming in heavy already, right? Um, it was it was really cool to, to tap into that. And um, long story short, the music industry being the music industry, you know, it goes it go if it goes in the right direction, you're supposed to get big and things are supposed to change. And 
I was happy with a lot of the things with the way they were going, but I, I felt like life was calling me. And uh, in, in comes in where I kind of met, uh, I, I took a quick stint, stint with uh, Weed Maps. I thought that was really interesting um, what they were doing at the time. Uh, this is before brand pages and all that stuff. Uh, this is just some straight listings, you know, and, I, and, it, and it, it for me, it was important because I wanted to get in if I was starting to get with the curiosity to understand like what all the running mechanics of it, right? Like what does Weed Maps do? If I want to get into the game. What does Weed Maps really do? And so that was like my first step to kind of like dip in my toe. Um, I, after that, I kind of still learned that it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted. And I think it's just because folks were in my in, from what just my opinion, from what I saw, folks were kind of scared to change their role titles. Like if you came from a traditional like job and you're starting to work for a cannabis company, you weren't really updating your LinkedIn back then. You know, just mm. because I didn't care, right? Like what are your what are your old colleagues gonna say? Right. If this was like 2015, 14, not a lot of folks were really like champion, like, yeah, I work in the cannabis industry. Right. There's a lot of risk. Um, yeah. If it didn't pan out, you might have to go back to the traditional. Right. And then people going to be like, hey, I don't know, man, like you touched cannabis. I can't hire you. So there there weren't a lot of people really putting it like on their back, you know, and I didn't like that because I was like, man, like on one hand, it's not really cool to like the way you position it and you look at the community because, you're kind of scared, you know, and that's okay. But at the same time, I really don't feel like you can be an advocate and make some difference in the change unless you wholeheartedly wear it, right? Wear it through the good, wear it through the bad, wear it when it's tough, right? Um, so I stepped back and I decided to work with some friends to, I went back, I mean, going back to my roots, I decided to work on um, some creatives and my friends were already throwing events in the city of Los Angeles. They were throwing parties for me. It would, you know, they would throw parties, they would, they would brand their own parties. And so for me, it was kind of like coming from the music space, being in, you know, um, on the marketing side, I knew I could take parties. We could put capsules together, merchandise them. Um, there was already some smoking going on so we could do things like that and work unique partnerships. Um, we started doing that. And what we did is we created this agency. And so it was fun. You know, we started throwing our events and I was, we were approached by some of these larger groups like Rolling Loud, EDC, Insomniac, um, a lot of them have ties to, to, to the city because they throw their own events in the city. Um, and then they work directly with Libation and AEG and stuff like that. Um, we started doing their events uh, and it was it was kind of white glove. But we were behind the scenes. You know, we would put extra flavor, help you, you know, help you refresh when, you know, your marketing or your branding got a little dull. Um, mm. I'd like to think that most of my team was from the city of Los Angeles. So we had a pulse on what the city was doing. I mean, all creatives, everybody was smoking, everybody was doing other things to have some fun. And it was at that time that like, I noticed another interesting intersection again, you know, like we're, mm -hmm. the events are cool. You know, Jose Wezar from the city reached out to us to help us revitalize LA. That was great. But I looked around again and like something was changing in LA, you know, these restaurants were being bought out. And it's like this beautiful dispensary just pulled up, right? This donut shop got bought out and it's a beautiful dispensary. But if I go on Google right there, right in front of the shop, it, it was a booger. It looked really bad. You know, the marketing was poor. The Google business page was poor. Um, forget about IG, right? That was even worse. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at this and I'm like, can something be done here, right? Like this doesn't mm -hmm. have to be this way. And, you know, I took a couple conversations with, with folks and with respect to the market at the time, I think a lot of folks thought you didn't need marketing. You didn't need analytics. You didn't need to have that. Like you had fire, you had fire drove flower on your, on your shelf. You thought it was it, right? You found, you, you unlocked the secret code, but that wasn't it. As more retailers and accessibility to flower was popping up everywhere, right? And then 
you had the uh, you had the gray market. So I, I, I lucked out and I met this gentleman um, and he kind of really changed my life. You know, I, I talked to him and I was probably at the end of like, you know, wanting to, uh, to pitching, you know, and I had met so many retailers that weren't biting. So I was kind of already over it. And so I pitched and I kind of was a little brass in my pitch and he bit, you know, and I, and we went from, the, it was such an amazing experience because, you know, having already seen weed maps, now I'm working at retail, right? Now I need to understand mm-hmm. retail. And this gentleman invited me in and we, this is before you saw Covisa or ending across retailers, right? When I'm talking about like dealership mentality or, you know, like every location is going to have the same name, or even if they don't have the same name, they're across multiple different neighborhoods. They're going to have the same continuity and branding, right? That didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. MedMen and others were trying, you know, but they were just tripping. I mean, no disrespect. I don't know, but they were ripping yeah. for them that model. That model already existed, right? They just was trying to like fit that t-shirt over, you know, that dispensary. And so when I approached this gentleman, he bit, we, I bit with like, let's, let's be a little bullish, right? Let, let's turn on things that nobody is turning on that don't cost money. You know, it don't cost money to have a cool um, Google business page before you even start experimenting, right? Just, I'm just talking about make it look, feel the part, right? Make it look, feel mm-hmm. the part to like what you want to communicate. Your store does better than the guy down the street, right? And it started to work for us. You know, we flipped the whole Google business page. We started to flip their socials. We started to point the guns early at what people are starting to pay attention to now. Hmm. Uh, shit, almost four years ago. And we, I mean, honestly, we took over the block. You know, this 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 location was popping. It was in my, and one of the things the commitments was, is my friend was like, he's my friend now. And he, at the time he was like, man, if I bring you on board, I got to have the most popping location out of the four or five doors that they had. Right. Yeah. And it was, you know, it went up to be an animal. And then, it was so cool because I got to see how, while I, I was there, I got to see how the front door worked. I got to see how intake worked. I got to see mm-hmm. how bud tenders work from, you know, hiring, problematics, you know, pain points on the floor. You know, what does the assistant manager do? What does the manager do? What does the buyer do? What is, what is, what's security's day like? You know, I'm, I'm talking you know, the whole thing and I would spend time on the floor. I would get to see what the customer's experience was. Right. Cause I feel like dispensaries were moving so fast and learning so fast that like, you, the customer experience changed a lot. You know what I mean? And that could have been a good thing or a bad thing. Think about like how me and you shop. Like I love going to Foot Locker. If Foot Locker and House of Hoops changes how that like, I can get sneakers, I might not go back, right? right. Because it because it's unfamiliar to me now. You're changing, and it having seen that and then helping this organization go from single doors across the LA foot, footprint into. Bre- into establishing continuity, right, and cohesiveness across that. So it doesn't matter if they were in downtown LA or if they were in West Hollywood or if they were in the Arts District of NoHo, they had the same vibe, but they respected the communities that they were in, right? Mm. I think that was huge back then because some folks still ain't getting that right. Um, And and honestly, I took took a lot away from that. and I thought I thought at that time I was ready for the next stage of my career in this because I really wanted to learn. And I didn't I didn't at the time I didn't have an interest in working at the retail level. I wasn't even though I was going to be there. It just was a great opportunity. So I folded my hands and walked away from uh, what my buddies was doing. So we didn't do I wasn't doing the agency anymore. I really took a risk on what this cannabis thing was going to be. I met this amazing gentleman. Um, uh, shout out Arun. Arun is Naomi. Um, and Arun gave me a great opportunity to. Um, where he introduced me to Zach Darling. Zach Darling is a part of the hybrid creative. Um, 
And Zach was crushing it up there at uh, up in Santa Rosa. If you're not familiar with the Hybrid Creative, the Hybrid Creative was a was a marketing agency out of Santa Rosa that really, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't really keep tabs on firsts and seconds and stuff like that and who was doing it first. But I really, from from what I know, in my opinion, they was the first ones really sticking their their necks out to really be branding cannabis. And I'm not talking about branding. I'm talking about the hydro days. You know, talk about stuff mm-hmm. that went into building up so that you could have some flour right and i think that to me that was that was really interesting again i just like folks that stick their necks out that have some you know some serious muscle and belief into what they're trying to do and so he was trying to build out an la office he was crushing it up there kushko had just acquired the hybrid creative kushko at the time was the packaging giant you know and they were out of southern california down here in garden grove and so i mean it was crazy, bro. Like, um, I went into my, I went, the interview was the best part of it. You know, I'll, I'll give you the interview because the interview to me, I still tell the story to this day. I went in, I met with the team and I had given the lowdown about what I'm doing at retail. Some of the things that I've seen, what I want to do if I was given this job at the hybrid creative and my, at the hybrid creative, my job would have been to help build this agency, work with legacy brands, work with new brands. And, you know, let's give them all this stuff that we're talking about here on this, on this, on this podcast, where, you know, get into the deep marketing and, and, and brand identity side. So I'm going through the cycles and um, the gentleman that worked, that brought me in to work on that first retail location. He's, he's good friends with a room too. Shout out Robbie. Um, he wanted to build a brand with me. So like now we're building a brand and this is like, Real way ahead of our time, and it's a concentrated brand. And I'm in the middle of this interview, right? And at the end of my interview, I get up and I'm like, "Where's your shipping and receiving department?" And they're like, "What?" <laughs> and so they walk me to the shipping and receiving, and I walk to the back, and um, I met I met this gentleman who's a good friend of mine too now, and it was the coolest thing. Like I picked up a bunch of uh, concentrate carts, uh, you know, jars, and a bunch of like uh, uh, at the time, Kush was pushing these uh, five ten threads. And I was, I picked them up at the end of my interview and I was like, yeah, I'm taking these back to go work on my brand. They're like, what the, you know, that's crazy. Um, so the hybrid creative, uh, we locked that in. Uh, that was a great ride. I mean, that was my tidal wave into legacy. I got to meet these amazing legacy operators that Zach Darling had already been working with out of humble Santa Rosa area. I mean, I got to hear firsthand, um, you know, some of these, these stories and tales about what these folks have been through, um, you know, the amount of muscle and hustle that went into feeding the state. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about just what they did. I'm talking about feeding the state. So we talked about early in this call, like, you know, what, what, you know, what was my first touch experience with cannabis? It's all thanks to that. These guys have been building brands, sending flour everywhere. So when I heard that, I fell in love and I just was fully committed to building these brands and, um, some of the brands that you listed off earlier in the call were some of the brands that came in through the hybrid creative. Uh, many that still are in the state today exist. They were branded by the hybrid creative. Um, it was, it was a learning experience, you know, and I think the industry at that time was going through something like it's been through since then. And uh, it was time for me to move on. And that's where lime cannabis came into play. And for me, lime cannabis was another great learning opportunity because Man, COVID was on the horizon and we didn't know it yet, um, mm. right? And 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 I think there were some shifts in in the market, which is why there was there was some shifts with Kushco. Uh, 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 there was some shifts going on um, with retailers in the industry, and I think Cash Trap was starting to kick in. 
And I think it was really time for brands to start to put in authenticity into their branding and marketing. Um, so that came on board there and I met G. G's a great gentleman, Sergey, shout out Sergey. Um, these guys are doing great things with Lime. And I came over there at that time and they had this great concept and, and brand. And what I, I did when I came in is I helped re-polish some of the branding and I added some identity to it. We give it, we give it a real LA feel, you know, not just talking about LA, not just saying that we're from here, but like, if you look at Lime now, if you go, even if you go back to the inception, no one can say that they weren't a part of the community. They weren't doing community things, right? They've been there every step of the way. Um, whether it's bagging, whether it's bagging, bagging turkeys on Thanksgiving, or if it's like getting um, beach cleanups early before they kind of came, you know, like the thing to do. They were the leaders of that. I'd like to at least think that they were the thought leaders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big learning curve for me because I mean, I got to come in and single handedly work with a premium value brand that offered a little bit of something for the shelf. So I got to understand at Lime, you know, I got to take all of my, my retail knowledge. And then I got to take the stuff that I learned on the back end of what happens at Weed Maps and now apply this to a brand. Right. And so Lime, I, Lime took a very unique and I feel like an intelligent approach to how we approached market expansion. Right. We was take over LA next ring around let's go further to southern california let's inch our way up you know and i think that their footprint now today not just on the shelf but within the state is pretty impressive um you know they survived big gate we went through covid uh even when we were there i mean i think in the la area again i'm not big on who's who was first or what but um definitely a leader in messaging on how folks could get their cannabis because at that time it was crazy Retailers weren't really equipped. We were still trying to figure out curbside pickup. Like that was just a concept and an idea, right? And so was, yeah. someone was like, oh, let's just do that. And we all did it then. But I mean, I have graphic assets and flyers like Accenture that we put up right then and there. I mean, they weren't just talking about flower, bro. We were talking about like, are you okay as a consumer? Mm-hmm. It is a good let's, let's talk about it. This is a strange time. We all going through strange stuff, right? And so we even picked unique partners at retail to work with that, to work with folks offering unique price points to make sure folks can get medicated through this weird time where they told us we we're going to be inside for three months and it ended up being whatever it was. Yeah. Um, that to me was, I think the springboard to my cannabis career, bro, is because now I've done retail, I've done the marketing, like, you know, the, the tech side. So I understand location. I understand how much of a lift it is as you, as you, as you get deep in the trenches, how you get deep on the digital side. I was ready to carve. I was ready to kind of continue to carve out deeper on building brand building. And I had a friend, you know, like I think what's cool about the cannabis space is you continue to like, and you're going through stuff like this, you meet really dope people. Right. And yeah. I met this gentleman and again, this, I felt like, I mean, he's, he's a good friend of mine too. And, you know, Josh came to me with this amazing opportunity and I just was kind of blown away and it was um, to be able to be, the uh, the driving force behind this this beverage brand that was dominating Seattle, Washington. Like they were mm-hmm. the beverage brand out there, infused beverage. And I'm like, what? And I read about their chief science officer a little bit before taking the gig. And Randy Randy Reed was just impressive to me. And I looked at what he had, the work he had done and why this gentleman wanted to come down to the state of California. And he's, I think, a Hawaiian native. So I was like, yeah, we got to do this. And so, yeah. um, you know, I came on board 
and they were at zero doors, right? Just an idea, manufacturing facility up out of Northern California. I'm down in Los Angeles, you know, and bro, we took that thing from zero to like 150 quality doors in no time. Uh, we launched Olala Craft Soda THC with four SKUs and two different mega offerings. Um, when the beverage space was pretty competitive, it was Can, Paps, Keep Cola, Can Aquenche, uh, Uncle Arnie. So just walked in, I think. I probably forgetting a few, um, but it was crazy. You know, we launched, we started with that. We had great success, but at the same time, it was a lot to learn. I learned so much about mm -hmm. packing line, the bottling line, you know, bottles versus cans. I mean, distro was insanity. Uh, you know, distro at the time was only set up to really like like churro vans, man. You know what I mean? Because we've only really been delivering ace ounces and five ten threads. You know what I mean? Beverage requires pallets. We ain't right. even equipped for that, right? The state wasn't equipped for that intake. Yeah, it's not equipped for that. You know, so I'm like learning this shit, bro, on like on the fly, and um, crushing it. So I decided to roll out another. So I decided to roll out another brand with the team. So we rolled out, looking at the market, rolled out the uh, this in the this, this infused mineral water. The water came out of Salinas. Uh, we worked with the Salinas community to make sure that it was on point. Randy again was the animal behind it, and this thing was as clean on the on the on the beverage side as mm -hmm. as you would compare to a, a very dope mineral water. Um, early onset, these beverages would hit you in 10 minutes or less, full spectrum products, dude. Um, and we had two different pairing, uh, two different uh, mega options there as well. It was, I think it was a 20 and a five. And then the sodas had a 100 and a 10. Hmm. And then lastly, like right before I, I, I was, I mean, before I knew I was leaving, but like I really wanted to do some dope shit. And so like we used to do these cool things where we would have kegerators, you know, because I wanted to, I want to take advantage of my sampling, right? Because I knew flower mm -hmm. guys. Well, I was on the flower side already. I know if you're doing five, ten threads, you can't rip carts everywhere. Gummies, sure, you can pop a gummy, but then you gotta wait for it to hit. So having beverage is something that had early onset. We would take, we took a kegerator. Uh, it didn't matter if it was retail, so if they were doing PADs or if it was hollow flowers, and we did this hollow flowers one year. But I would take kegs and we would fill the kegs up with the the non-infused beverage, right? And then Randy was a wizard with like being able to work with um getting getting just just extracting just the terps and we would get the terps and we put the terps in like um we would freeze them up into ice cubes so then it's still not psycho right <laughs> and then so imagine you know mike comes by I'm like yo mike can i pour you up one oh yeah sure so right and i drop i'm like you know what do you what do you want you, you you like blue dream so here's a blue dream ice cube again no 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 thc right drop it in there you take a sip and then your receptors are fucking, they're going off, right? And I used to have people always tell me all the time, like, I'm getting faded. I'm like, no, you're not, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so just your receptors tingling. <laughs> but it was the coolest way to start to have conversation if you were a buyer. Yeah. And if you were a consumer, I got you right then. I didn't talk to you about we're on special today. I didn't tell you. We was, we're, you know, we're 15, 20% off. It's a buy one, get one. The first thing I did, I gave you experience. You tell me you like it, right? Um, it, it was dope, man. And so, like, really being in the beverage zone, um, I had a buddy. He's my brother now, um, Mike Housel. He's he's, he's he's an animal, dude. Uh, I met him. He's working. He, <laughs> I met Mike. He was doing some things behind the shadows early when I met. I was starting my dispensary gig. He also was in on the brand that we were trying to create 
way ahead of our time. So then I ran into him again and he was working at Maven Genetics and I had we had this idea and I came to him and I was like, yo, I want to do a beverage that tastes like a strain. You know, I want to be strain specific, no added mm -hmm. flavor, nothing, right? And I was like, I just need a cut of something fire. And Maven is just known for their like fire flower. I mean, those guys just do an incredible job. That's why they were my first source. And so he cut me down. He cut me down. So I'm in this peach cream gelato. We sent that right back up to Randy, Randy Reed. And Randy did his thing. And, you know, after a lot of trial and error, we took this beverage. So we created this terpene, terptonic beverage from the peach cream gelato. And I, I think it was a 10 milligram early onset, lightly carbonated. And I'm telling you, bro, everybody that tried it said it tastes just like the flower. That's incredible. It, it was amazing. You know, um, I think I think I think the, I think the beverage is still doing well today. Um, I haven't kept up on it, but it was just exciting for me to hang on. I had on that and to be able to create things, especially very early in the beverage game. I think the beverage game is still in its infancy and there's and there's still a lot of exciting things to happen. But it was cool to be able to learn that side of the business and hang my hat on it before I really moved on. Um, and I didn't really plan on moving on, but, you know, I think this industry treats you well. Um, and so I, I had a friend and and this, this guy was like, dude, like, how do you still feel about all that humble stuff? I'm like, man, I'm dude, like, take this L.A. kid up there. And so he threw me an alley-oop and I met I met these great folks from Bear Humboldt. I met Jeff Flannery, Stacia, Casey Eliason, Justin and Tay. Um, I mean, these guys welcomed me in with open arms. And on day one, they flew me and my partner up to Humboldt County, and I went to Arcata from L.A. Um, and, you know, I'm just, just, you know, I mean, I had been up there, but never really, you know, had that type of an experience. And I just mm. fell in love with the opportunity and being up there that I just, I was like, yeah, man, let's, let's go. Let's, you know, whatever it is you guys need, let's get to it. And that was a little over a year ago. And, um, I had been working with them. The goal was kind of the same. Let's get, you know, I, mean, I think everybody's after the same thing in California cannabis. Everybody wants revenue, right? <laughs> they want to lose their shirt getting it. Yeah. And, you know, we did our thing. And I think what was really cool was just like I learned at that time, I was very well aware of Herbal. I had been working with some of the Herbal, uh, some of those awesome sales managers over there in different capacities and some of the folks on their, on the actual distribution side um, and logistics and team building. I mean, it's, it's the same folks from the game. And it was it was really cool to be able to work with them and then take what I've learned working with Mike because all you know everything we talked about here I you know I flew over the fact that I was working with micro distros all along the way in the state of California you know there's not a whole mm -hmm. lot of self distribution going on it's just too tough it doesn't work um, unless you really got enough of you know the vans and you overhead built out but so you know having worked with a lot of micro distro it was it was interesting to work with uh, with Herbal. You know, I feel like I heard what the market was saying. I saw I saw a lot of stuff that people were saying good and bad, digested it all. Mm -hmm. uh, I found velocity with them. I found velocity with them quick. And I think it's just, you know, if you meet, if you meet, if you meet any, if this goes for anybody in this game, if you meet your partner, your, your receiving partner, your growth partner on the on the other side mm -hmm. of it, right? Because you have a mutual goal together, you can define that, bro, you'll meet success, right? And so we hit velocity quick, man. Um, we started off with we started off with Ursa. Ursa extracts. Ursa is a premium concentrate, live resin, live rosin products. You know, five ten threads and all that. So you know, we're not talking lower price ticket. We're talking mm -hmm. top shelf, moving, 
right? Uh, moving so well, and the relationship was so dope that I was like, man, like, you know, we talked to the Jeff and I were chatting um, with the, the, the roundtable team at Bear. So we dropped, we redropped Wax Extracts. Wax Extracts was an animal in the Humboldt County area. Um, I mean, this thing has seen great success uh, just in that, just in that region. So we brought it stateside. And again, I think we hit, we knocked it out the park as far as like launch, um, you know, introduction to this introduction to the state reintroduction to retailers. That's so like, you know, why we hit the pause button. I mean, I'm really like fully polished. And I think the coolest thing was, is that the brand for a while had been such a hard um, Northern California brand to be able to bring it into Southern California down to San Diego to me, it was just like amazing, you know. Now you go to SD and 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 people know what Urson Wax is, you know. I thought that was that was like something I could, I just gush over, you know, because I mean it's humble, you know, to be able to do that for um, Humble County and give back to folks and stuff like that. That really, um, in my opinion, need need the help was huge, you know. Um, and we did some amazing things that like. Nothing that would benefit the community, benefited um, legacy operators in the cannabis space that had, you know, now they have second, third generation businesses in the area because that cash flow from there, you know, whether however they're selling those packs, transition to, to, to how they make money, right? And how they survive. And so, like, to be able to contribute and work with some of those folks and get shoulder to shoulder, man, over a year and a half was amazing. Um, and fast forward, and then I got this opportunity here, bro. I met Jeff. Jeff was like, the coolest dude in the world, Jeff Asterling, man. Um, I just I didn't know who this dude from San Diego was that was living up in Humble. <laughs> like, how'd you get up here, bro? Like, what? Um, everything about him, just like I'm an energy guy, and everything about him just drew me to him. I loved what he was doing, man. Um, Scott is just like he's like a man for the people, you know. Um, and I'm pretty sure he was gonna ask me, but like, you know, the humble family farms thing to me is huge because I feel like because the flower had been leaving the area for so long and these people like, you know, I, I keep saying that like, I'm motivated by like, you know, people's what, what people are, what motivates them to do what they do. Right. So like mm -hmm. when, whether it's hard, it's easy or whatever, you know, really coming up, step to a plate. And these people wrote up in the triangle, been doing this for three, four, five generations, you know, and I'm talking about harvesting, you know, um, planting, plugging the plants, you know, um, the stuff that comes in between it, losing harvest because of just natural disasters, losing stuff because 5.0 came through and they, you know, they took your entire crop. They busted you down in front of your family. Right. Yeah. They, 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 they just made you look, you know, they just embarrassed you. You know what I mean? These people go went through that hundreds of times, bro. So much that they're pushed into like, you know, really having to live behind the curtain. And that we, that, that to me was like, okay, this is something here has got to change. Right. And there was a growing culture like, like of, you know, what, however, what kind of type of flower you like to smoke, whether it's indoor canopy, whatever, or sun grown. You know, I just really liked the idea that Scott was concerned with the amount of flower that was leaving the area and he wanted to help redirect that traffic back, you know, to make sure that we were helping these farmers. And the vision really was is that let's take these products that are direct from the supply chain as fast as possible to the people, right? And so Humble Family Farms cut their start right there before I had come on board. They were direct to consumer mm. and they were dominating. I mean, and to me, that just said that folks want good quality flour, right? They're willing to pay for it because like all things that we know that are associated with sun grown or sun activities when you step outside, right? Like I pay a premium on my beach parking ticket to go out there and spend a day at Malibu, 
right? I pay a premium when I hit the farmer's market to make sure that I get the best of the best and the cleanest stuff for me and my family. So I really like that he and these farmers were holding strong to that. You know what I mean? I don't like the race to the bottom. I go to the, I go to the retailer and I pick up an eighth. I'm like, this is $15. Why is it $15? Right? Like, what's wrong with you know, I don't like that. We don't buy anything else like that way when somebody comes to rewarding ourselves and taking care of our bodies. So I love that they stood on um, value and ethos. Um, but I mean, I really, bro, like that, 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 that to me is like the the quick, I guess the quick version. Of how I got it. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's, that's an, that's an unbelievable journey, man. You should write a book seriously with everything, with all those, those, different facets and and checkpoints turning points whatever you want to call them there's so much in there and one of the things too that i really appreciate about the people in this space that i feel like have made it up until this point and they've kind of been able to sustain some of the challenges and some of the the headwinds that have come our way is just that that super gritty attitude and that mindset and that ability to deliver under any circumstance, right? Like, oh, you throw a challenge my way? Cool, that's just, a, it's just an obstacle. So I just need to think of a different way to go around it. It's not gonna stop me from getting from point A to point B, which I feel like took a lot. That took a, a that had a very big impact and that, that mentality and approach kind of brought you from every single stepping stone as you kind of called them from start to, I don't wanna say to finish, but brought you <laughs> to, to kind of like where you are today. And the the people element and the people aspect of it, I think is so huge, especially in this industry, because, you know, you, you see it on LinkedIn all the time and people are always, you know, championing how cool this industry is because of the amazing people in it. I also think it's important to realize that just like in any industry, especially in emerging market, there are also plenty of bad actors and a lot of bad apples that you that you come across and you you run into, maybe have a bad dealing with here or there. But at the same time, when you when you're able to connect with the good people, it, it's game changing. Sometimes it's life changing for a business or for an individual or career changing in in in, in respect to that. So mm -hmm. that's that's always super interesting and fascinating for me to hear, especially how that impacted your journey. So one of the things I wanted to ask you too, um, as we kind of just you know wrap up and finish up here, is from everything that you've experienced along the way, from all the incredible people that you've met, what do you think? has been one of the the most important lessons and it could be you know either business or life that you've gathered from all the different people that you've met all the different experiences you've had and 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 everything that kind of came with your with your journey in the space man another great question bro uh i mean the first thing that honestly popped into my head but as you said that the first thing was just keep hate out of your heart i think because Ooh, like, i like that this industry taught, you know, everybody in, the, in this game, if you were really dedicated and you really wanted to be here, it doesn't matter where you came from, what your 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 history of the plan is. If you wanted to be here, your life been tossed into a fucking blender. Sorry, I don't know if you can curse. You know what I mean? But you've been thrown into a blender, right? You, your world is on fire. You got prop, you got things going at home. You got other personal stuff. So like everybody, like that's what gave me a lot of comfort to continue to keep going there. I mean, I you, you could talk to some of my buddies. I had, I had more than one toe out, you know, I was ready to dip and it's the people that are in this game, like everybody's world's on fire at the same time. So everybody holds each other down. Everybody links up and, and everybody takes accountability for their friends. You know, I think you saw one of my posts the other day and I wouldn't have been able to take this feat that's something that, you know, I went to Vegas to go champion for that was outside of this world. But that strength came from this industry, bro. Like I was able to build a, you know, put on an even bigger bulletproof vest that I didn't know that I had, right? And it become even tougher and thicker skin because of some of my friends. I mean, those weaker moments, 
you know, between all this stuff that you and I have been through to be in this game, I mean, just five years of this game is like 15 years, right? It, it wears you down like 20. Yeah. So I'd be a liar to say that, like, I've been Superman through it. My friends have held me up a few times, you know, where I've had moments yeah. to say, F this, I'm out. You know, I can make I can make and have a much better life outside of this. So I think that, man, is if you keep hate out of your heart and you be be, be really willing to receive and receive opportunity and then reciprocate, man, like that right there in itself, I, you know, it, it pays itself forward every single time. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And then D, for, for people that, you know, maybe want to learn, learn a little bit more about Humble, uh, Humble Family Farms or even just link up with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, yeah, Humble Family Farms. Uh, check us out online, um, humblefamilyfarms.com. Check out the Instagram. The Instagram is pretty fire. We don't have a million followers, but the stories are incredible. The folks that we shine, we just draw a spotlight to just the great, amazing farmers that we work with and the amazing work that they've been doing for years. So please go check out Humble Family Farms on Instagram. Show all those farmers hella love. Blow up their personal Instagrams. Give them a like and follow. Um, if you want to check out the stuff that I'm usually ripping on and follow my jargon, <laughs> check me out. D Sidhu, D double E S I D H U on LinkedIn. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, what's so, so special about humble family farms too. There's such a big emphasis on the individual farmers and the people that really get their hands dirty every single day, literally and figuratively. And I think that's, what's so important in cannabis. It's like, it's the people that put that energy into the plant, like literally put their own energy into the soil put it into taking care of the plant and it's almost like what you put into it you get out of it and that's just that's life in general but i find that especially important in this in this industry especially once you start getting back to the soil and to like what really holds this industry up so i appreciate you putting a spotlight on on the on those those special people because i feel like a lot of times they do not get enough credit I appreciate that, brother. I mean, it's a labor of love, right? We're and we're all doing some sort of labor of love to like, you know, help help lift this game, you know. So I appreciate that. I gotta get you a pack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Look, we can talk about that offline. Um, but hey, man, thank you so much again for your time. I know you're a busy man. Uh I'll be sure to put all the links down in the description below. And uh yeah, man, let's keep this conversation going. I'm excited to see, you know, where the where the future takes you and and the brand. So we'll definitely talk soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.